One of the questions I get as a, as a pastor over the last 15, 16 years uh, in pastoral counseling sessions is, um, Ben, I need to know if I'm, if I'm ready, right? When I was a student pastor, it looked like this. Ben, am I, am I ready to date this girl? I'm like, well, not until you get those zits clear off your face, right? Uh, man, wake up, guys. That was funny. I worked on that all week. <laughs> Good night. Put a Tom Brady jersey on, then you'll laugh. Um, and then uh, once they become juniors and seniors, it's been, am, am I actually ready to go to college? To which I say, I don't know, but your parents are changing the locks, so you better get good grades, right? <laughs> then we get into college. I, am I really ready to choose a field? Make a commitment my freshman year, right? Man, the pressure we put on ourselves at a young age is insane. And then as we get, get older, am I, ready to, am I ready to marry this person, right? I have all the love in my heart, but no money in my bank account, right? Right? The eagle saying love will keep us alive, but we don't have their paychecks, right? They, they could say that. <laughs> They're pretty wealthy. And then as we get older, we, we ask ourselves, are, are we ready to start a family? And then one of the spouses asks, am, am I ready to go back to work now that I've raised my kids? And w- what's that going to be like? Then as we get older, chapter 3, chapter 4, am I ready to retire? What does that look like? I, I, I obeyed an alarm clock. 5, 4.30, 6 a.m. every morning. What's that going to be like when I don't have to set the alarm on Monday? Man, I really can't wait. I don't really want to know what that's like, right? But, but, but if I'm so driven and I have purpose, what's that first day of retirement look like? And then the last question we asked in the last chapter is, am, am I ready to go? What sort of legacy am I going to leave behind? Not just financial, but spiritual, relational. Did what I do actually matter in my life? We all ask that question. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not or follower of Jesus, you grew up in the church, or this is your first Sunday here, you're watching online or here live. We all ask that question. Am I ready? The disciples, these followers of Jesus, asked that same question. You see, the way Jesus set up his public ministry is that he would gather a group of, of men, these 12 men at first, and he would say, let me teach you something. And then you're going to, we'll talk about it, you're going to go out and do it, and then we'll come back and sort of debrief it, right? This is like leadership 101. Companies do this, teachers do this, families do this. So you're welcome to, you know, even if you never step in a life group, you're welcome to steal this, all right? This is Jesus' stuff, I'm just taking it from him. And so he would do that one conversation after another. In just a moment, we're going to read a text out of Acts. And the church, uh, the day of Pentecost, which is the, the, the birth of the church, Big C Church, Peter preached a compelling sermon. This Jesus that you crucified, that you put on a cross, which was their form of capital punishment, that you let him hang in front of his mother, that you shamed him, that, that you, you, uh, you uh, made fun of him and told him that if you're God, why don't you come down on the cross? That guy was God in the flesh, and you killed him. And the text says they were moved, Right? Because why? Life is more like a dance than a debating hall, right? You can be the most intelligent person in the world, and you can still kill Jesus. They're called Pharisees. They're called Sadducees. And they were cut to the heart. They said, what do we do, do, Peter? We we believe this. And 3,000 people on that day, probably more, because back then they only counted men, but 3,000 people at least were baptized. Now, listen, that doesn't happen, right? Billy Graham or Ben Seaman preaching at Gillette Stadium— that doesn't happen unless Jesus starts a circle. Everybody wants to go to the rock show. Everybody wants to go to Gillette Stadium. 
Everybody wants to look good and have all the social media followers and the money, but how many of us want to start a circle? (laughs) How many of us want to put in the work to see the movement of God? And the disciples asked, are we ready? To which the Lord told them in Acts 1-8, yes. But in Acts 1-8, he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is giving his disciples a promise. Now, now at, at this point, because he started with a group of 12 men who invested in other people, who invested in other people, now women are part of this circle, which was a big thing in the first century. Now children are allowed to come to Jesus, which Jesus you know, laid into the disciples for saying, you know, these children come to me. And, and, now, and, and now people that are born with defects and are blind and are paralyzed, they actually get to be in this circle. And so this whole movement started one conversation at a time. And Jesus says, you are ready because you will be my witnesses. Now, here's why you care about this. That is a third person plural pronoun. I never thought I would use this in ministry. English grammar, right? He's talking about you. He's talking about me. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm already there. I watched Dateline. How can I be a witness if I didn't see anything? Good question. The New Testament writers say you're a witness if you come to faith in the story of Jesus. Everybody who responded to Peter's message, this is why the book of Acts is so critical, because it's the first book after Jesus' ministry, where you hear, like this setup, somebody preaching, and then people get to respond. And you hear people being told, believe, repent, confess, and express all of that in baptism. And this is what caused the early church to explode. So when someone becomes a Jesus follower, they are a witness to the story that happened over 2,000 years ago in the first century. Because it's making a difference in your life. Then he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. I love this word, especially if you like fireworks. Some of these middle school guys, they love this word power. Because it's the Greek word dudamos, which we get our English word dynamite. (laughs) This is an explosive movement of God. Not just coming to church because it's Sunday and get in the car because we religiously have to. But this is life transformation happening. People are getting baptized Uh, giving professions of faith on a weekly basis because people are interested in starting circles and wanting their friends to come to know who Jesus actually is. Then he says you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit, and getting into the Greek without getting too far, is rooted in an origin. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of discernment into ultimate reality. Now, we're going to get into this uh, in the summer. We're going to go through the Gospel of Mark, and we'll talk about demon, demon possession and demonology and all that fun stuff, because that's what's in Mark, so we'll talk about it. There are spirits in our lives. Ben, I have a PhD. I don't believe in that stuff, all right? I, I get it. But there is a spiritual realm that we may know a little or a lot about, that is fighting for your attention and fighting for your affection. And so when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, in the literal Greek language, this is a spirit that is rooted into the depths of ultimate reality, 
Like, so if like the Holy Spirit was a tree, it would be, its roots would be in the soil of what is most true about this experience you're all living right now called life. So whatever is most true about life, if Jesus is telling the truth, which I think he is, he says there is a spirit that you can pray to and have a relationship with. The spirit is not an it. The spirit is a he. It's a person. It's part of the Trinity that you can have a relationship with that will help you discern your life. Are you ready? Yes, you're ready. I've went to the cross. I rose again three days. By that alone, you are qualified. This is not about your ability, but about your obedience. This is not about your uh, expertise, but about your willingness not to be assertive, but to be submissive to the story of Jesus. You are ready, because <laughs> I've given you my spirit, and there's going to be an explosive reaction that when it happens and churches grow and baptisms are a regular thing and people are getting into groups, people are going to want to huddle and say, how do we manage this? You don't. You keep praying for more people to come to know the Lord. My God, we're born <laughs> for a short amount of time. This is the least, it used to be Seattle. This is the most unchurched region of the country. Come on. Jesus wants to start a movement of God with us. He wants you to see life transformation all the way back since the first century. And he's given you his story, his power, and his spirit. And the Jesus mission would be accomplished in circles, not in rows. And I've said this throughout the whole series. We will not do well as a church if we grow to 800, 1,000, 20,000, 80,000. And if we have wider rooms and low ceilings. Higher ceilings provide high, more leaders, leadership development, and more maturity. And I really believe, guys, with my whole heart, if we dig deep wells of maturity and growth, we, if, we, if, we, if we focus on the depth, God will give the width. Because you matter, and your story matters, and you're connected to people that I'm not connected with, that people sitting around you are not connected with. The mission starts in circles. So let's talk about this. So let's talk about reproducing resistance. Now I'm going to ask you guys to, to raise your hand, okay? Just for a second. Raise your hand if you've ever been in some sort of like Bible study, life group, small group, uh, prayer group, whatever. Just raise your hand. For, okay, great. Awesome. Uh, put your hands down. Now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because this is going to be a really tough thing. But I love you, <laughs> and as your pastor, I'm going to come alongside you, okay? I wonder how many of us would raise our hands to say, if we could say, I've been in a life group, and I've also started a life group from my current group. See, that's the movement of Jesus. It's not that we confess our faith and be baptized. That, that's great. That, that's awesome. But it's that we lead people to Christ, and then we baptize them. I don't have to, I'd be happy not baptizing anybody in my time here at RCC. I would love to see you investing in your friends and baptizing your friends. And the same is true with circles. Jesus is great. You're in a circle. You got a group of people to love on you. That's great. That, that's one layer of growth. The next layer is leadership development. Who in your life can you ask to come alongside of you to help start another circle? Here's what I believe, friends. You can call people to difficult things if you have a greater yes and believe in a greater why. We're not doing life groups just because I read a book and it's a great idea. <laughs> or I went to a conference or I heard a story or I heard a song. 
We're doing life groups because Jesus did his ministry in circles. And he says, <laughs> after all this circle development, he tells us he's going to build his church on our faithfulness and our obedience and our desire to follow him. This is the mission that Jesus has for us. So let's talk, like, let's, you know, pastors are really great at, like, theorizing stuff. So let's put some flesh and bones on this, right? Let's talk about Jesus' strategy for apprenticing. So we're talking about reproducing leaders. Jesus is not interested in groups adding more people to their circle. Does that make sense? What he's, all, like, the, the, it's the difference between, like, uh, trying to make a treadmill analogy, so bear with me. It's that extra mile, you know, on, on the treadmill. Yeah, you can add people to your group. That's a wider room. But when you develop people, that's a higher ceiling. Does that make sense? So Jesus is less interested in adding people to groups where there's one leader and 30 people, right? That, that's, not, that's not a small group at all. That's a family reunion, right? <laughs> that, that's not a small group. And so what Jesus did is he developed people who would develop other people. In Luke 6, 12 through 16, we get, we get the joy and the gift, friends, to see how Jesus started his very first circle. Luke 6, 12 through 16. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also uh, designated apostles. And so here's the folks in his first circle. Simon who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called a zealot. <laughs> the reason why he was called a zealot is because actually Jesus, Simon the zealot was like a political figure, almost borderline like uh, political like terrorist. Like when, so when Jesus said, like, I want to start the kingdom of God, he was ready to throw a hand grenade at, at uh, the Roman government. Does that make sense? And so there was a lot of confusion, even with his disciples, when he says, no, the kingdom of God is not going to take over the Roman Empire with power and force. It's going to come through prayer and service. Uh, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who would become a traitor. What a great epitaph, right? <laughs> Judas, I betrayed everybody. Notice what Jesus said at the beginning of this text, or Luke said. Before Jesus started his circle, what did he do? He went to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God, right? Jesus is a Jew, so this is probably 6 p.m. all the way to 6 a.m., right? Twelve hours of prayer. I'm lucky to pray for five to seven minutes straight. If my phone's in the room, forget about it. It's over. Before Jesus started a ministry, before Jesus started circles, he spent at least 12 hours praying. Now, now this is mind-blowing. Jesus, who claimed to be God in the flesh, submitted himself to prayer, asking the Father for permission. Father, I'm ready to start my movement. I'm ready to start my first circle. And we're going to get everybody on track to be in the kingdom of God. Would you give me wisdom? Would you give me discernment as to who I should ask uh, to be in my circle? God in the flesh takes time to pray? What? Doesn't he, like, know who he wants? I wonder, let me just give you this challenge, and we're, we're uh, it's almost February, so we're in month two of the first quarter of 2019, so we're just getting the party started with life groups, but, but I wonder, 
and this is what I'll ask you, and so you keep me accountable, okay? I wonder if you come to me and you say, I'm ready to start a life group. Give me some people. I wonder what would happen if I said, would you take some time to pray and ask the Lord who would be a great fit to be in my life group? Now, here's something that might happen that might blow your mind. Uh, if you live in a neighborhood, if you have a job, if you, act with, if you interact with anybody that doesn't go here, Jesus might say, I would love for you to invite these two couples that go to RCC that aren't in a group or one or two singles or whatever. But then, like, you work with, uh, remember Joe in accounting? It, it, yeah, he's a great guy. You've gone to some, like, uh, you've gone to some Pats games, and you've, you've had each other over for dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Invite him, too. Like, what, what if for some people the front door experience isn't watching our service online or watching our social media or going to our website? Like, what if the first introduction to RCC is you inviting a coworker into your small group? You see, we don't get there if we don't spend time with the Lord, if we're not sensitive to his spirit. We miss out on the people that Jesus might want to have us ask to be uh, in our circle. Paul does the same thing. In Acts uh, chapter 16, he's getting ready to uh, minister to the Jews. And uh, you've probably heard of Timothy, First and Second Timothy, y- young guy. Timothy is roughly my age, maybe a year or two older or younger. Depends on who you read, if you're into that sort of thing. And so here's, here's how Paul started his circle. Paul came to Derby and then Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and, and a believer, but whose father was Greek, right? So the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along the journey, so he had him circumcised because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was Greek. In other words, in Judaism, the way that you're part of the team or you're like in the circle, one of the ways you express that is through circumcision. Now, we would say in the movement of Jesus, the way that you express that, and I'll talk about that later when we spend more time on baptism, we would say that expression would be in baptism because in Colossians, Jesus says there's a cutting away of the spirit not done with human hands, but Jesus cuts away at our sinful nature. So it's like dying to our sin and rising with Christ, if that makes sense. So for us, we would say, if you want to follow Jesus and you believe and repent and confess, well, express that publicly uh, in the waters of baptism. But in the Old Testament, and for Judaism, it was circumcision. So Timothy and Paul were going to a place that was heavily Jewish, and so for them to receive the message, Timothy had to serve the people. Even though the gospel message is true, whether people believe it or not, he was so willing to do whatever it takes to reach people, to reach his friends, that he was willing to do what Paul asked. Then as time went on, Timothy became a church planner. And uh, there's a book called Ephesians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy and other churches in Ephesus. So New England has a strong representation of Christian churches throughout the area, and we want to plant more churches. So it would be like uh, the uh, CEO of the Christian churches or whatever. That's a bad analogy. Uh, Writing a letter, and I would read it to you, right? Sort of like districts if you grew up in the Nazarene church. That's exactly what happened with Timothy. And Timothy said, Paul, man, how do I plant a church? (laughs) Like, I, I, I get you taught me everything, but this is real life. And it, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us went through school and crushed it, but then sat at, at our office or our job the first day, like, what do I, 
what do I do now? <laughs> I'm a pastor in this new town. Uh, I know all the coffee shops, but what do, I do, what do I do now? And this is what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust reliable people. And there's a whole litmus test for that we don't have time to get into. Who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, Timothy, listen. Remember when I invited you to come with me? And we started this little circle and we began preaching the gospel and people started to believe it and repent and confess and express that belief through uh, the beautiful public display. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And do you remember like, you know, Tom and, and Amy or whatever their names were in the first century and how I would have them over for dinner and we would have conversations and we would talk about ministry and the church. Yeah, 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 yeah. And do you remember over time you learned how to trust those people? And before, this is important, before you gave someone a ministry, you gave them a project to see how they would do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that. Do that. The people we invested in, the way we invested in people, do that. And that statement alone made Christianity explode throughout Europe because Timothy was willing to be in a circle, because Jesus was willing to be in a circle, and because Jesus was willing to develop men and women, and because Paul was willing to develop men and women and children who would start other circles, who would start other circles. So when the day of Pentecost would come and over 3,000 people get baptized, no, nobody's caught red-headed. Everybody's, will, everybody's ready to deal with that. Like if RCC had 3,000 3, baptisms next Sunday, that would be great. But here's the more mature question. What do we do now? <laughs> we got to get them uh, in groups. We got to start discipling them. They were all ready. Why? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a mystery because Jesus started with a circle. And Timothy was ready to plant churches at a young age because Paul was willing to start with the circle. So what makes a good apprentice? So we're, we're, we're throwing out terms here that are going to define our, our leadership culture here. So you have a life group leader and you have uh, an apprentice, right? You have the leader and the number two chair who's part of the group, but learning, helping lead discussions, uh, praying through the prayer time, providing food for the group, different things like that. And so what, what, what I have found <laughs> that when you ask people to step into something like this, the first response is, it, it, it just can't be me, Right. I'm just not along, I'm not as uh, long in my faith as I want to be, or I don't know the Bible. We're such Americans. I don't don't know the Bible, right? Uh, (laughs) I I can't do this if I don't know something. Well, the Pharisees knew a lot. I think you knew what happened with that. And so I think there's really great core competencies that make a great small group leader or life group leader, same thing, and an apprentice. The first one is spiritual velocity. Jesus, this is what got Jesus in trouble so many times. Jesus never looked at somebody as their present reality or circumstances uh, met his eyes. Jesus always looked at the velocity and the trajectory of where they were going and the potential of their personal spiritual development should they choose to follow Jesus. I mean, I think this is why uh, Jesus tells the woman caught in adultery, I forgive you, stop sinning, go leave your life of sin. And the Pharisees were like, tit, this woman is a whore, she's sleeping around, the law says we should stone her, and Jesus says, I forgive you, go and sin no more. Why? Because Jesus does not look at us, at our current reality, and say, we are the sum total of who we are right now, 
January 20, whatever today is, 2019. He looks at us as we can be and invites us into the, the velocity and the trajectory of what we could be should we step into it. And here's what gets a lot of church leaders in trouble. So we've got this diagram, right? So the circle and the cross represents like a Christ-centered life, right? We all want to be here, but with self-talk and, and all that, we put ourselves down. So when we start a life group or we start a circle or we think about asking someone to be in leadership, just, a, just real talk, right? Every elder board, every staff that I've worked with, we all ask, well, would this person do a good job, right? Will they lead the ministry well? And we tend to look for people that are in this circle, right? The, the, the aid people, so to speak, the, the, the lead team. But what happens is, in the next slide, we don't take into consideration their spiritual velocity, because what looks good on the outside isn't always happening what's on the inside. So person A could be qualified to be an elder, to lead a ministry, to preach, but inwardly, uh, they're stuck. Uh, inwardly, they're quietly walking away from Jesus. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying they're like sinful, or there's something like, you know, that's going to end up on Maury Povich show or anything like that. But what I'm saying is they're, 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 they've sp spiritually plateaued off. And we oftentimes ask a lot of people to help lead groups, lead the church, because on the outside, everything looks good. Like, like for me, like you would expect me to lead a life group. You would ask me to do that. Well, you're the preacher. You have been a Jesus follower. You've got a master's in God. Surely you can at least wing something if you don't, if you don't know what to do. But there's also a real side of me that I am person B. That there are things in my life that I've not fully given to the spirit to develop. And I'm a work in progress as much as you are. Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. I don't know if you knew that. The Holy Spirit did. Uh, go read the resurrection account. And so Jesus in Acts 1 says, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you, you, you have that same guy in you, right? I, I, just, I, just <laughs> I just geeked out on the Bible and went to college for eight years. Now I've got debt and two degrees to prove it. But you have that same spirit. You, you can lead a life group. You can lead a ministry. But oftentimes we look at person A and go, oh, you're qualified. But really... They know the right words, and if you've been along church long enough, you get institutionalized. And you can, you can pray while you're sinning at the same time. I've done it before. It's really easy to do. You become numb. Jesus is after person B. Person B that looks like they're on the outside of the circle, but they are coming alive for the very first time. And what happens is, I'm not saying we have to pray for 12 hours, although that would be great. What happens is, when we think... <laughs> All the person A's at RCC should be in our groups. We miss out on the person B's. And what happens is person A's are whitewashed tombs. They look good like the Pharisees. They look good on the outside, but inwardly they're broken. They know a lot of theology. They know a lot of words that end with Asian, like justification, propitiation. But they don't weep when they see someone be baptized. They're concerned about who's in at RCC versus who isn't yet in. But person B is on a trajectory moving closer to Jesus. This is why, friends, it's so important as we kick off this life group ministry in 2019 and for years to come that we look at people, not at their present reality, where they're at, but we ask insightful questions. This is why we have the Holy Spirit for discernment to see if they're on trajectory as a follower of Jesus. I tell you what, <laughs> first-time visitors who get connected to RCC and get baptized and join a serving team often do more for the Lord than people that have grown up in the church their whole life. Because there's just a, I mean, I'm, 
I grew up in church my whole life. I, I'm just telling you, there's a familiarity. And when we're familiar with something, we get bored with it. Or we don't, um, we take it for granted. And Jesus says, don't miss out on the be people. The second quality is teachability. Teachability. Apprentices are people who actually want to grow. If you are a life group leader, or you will be a life group leader someday in your ministry here at RCC, and if you have to hunt people down <laughs> to be in your life group, chances are you probably shouldn't do that. Uh, but a really easy way to think that we're spiritually mature is that we try to control everything. Guilty. And sometimes we run down people who we think would be great leaders, and they would be, but for whatever reason, in their season of life, they're not ready to step into that. And what happens is we get people who just say yes because they're, you know, we call them, in my last church, we call them voluntold, right? I'm not going to give you the option. You need to serve in this area. You need to do this or do that. And when, when you volunteer somebody to do, yes, I made that up. When you volunteer somebody to do something, they don't, it's not giving them life. They often say yes because a religious figure in the church that they're in said they should, and they project a guilt trip on them. And that's not what Jesus is about. Jesus is about teachability. Someone who wants to say yes, someone who's willing to say, you know what, I, I don't have all the answers, I don't have my stuff together, but I'm willing to join the life group for a purpose of starting my own one day. And the third one, and there could be more, but the third one is relational intelligence. Now here's a 90 statement. Remember the color ID test, right? In other words, when I call you and you look at your phone, you're like, oh, no, it's Ben calling me. Are you like, oh, how much did I send this week, right? Or are you like, oh, man, it's Ben. I can't wait to talk to him. Our character precedes us, right? The story we're telling, not with our head knowledge, but with our lives, it precedes us. You want to look for those B people that are moving towards Jesus. And, and that's just a good inventory gut check, friends. When people, when you text or when you call people, are they excited <laughs> that you're calling them? Uh, or they're like, uh, hang up. Because a, a lot of leadership development in the church isn't head knowledge as much as it is life transformation. The head knowledge will come over time if you step into it. But you, there's not much you can do with a church that's filled with really smart people that have no desire for non-Christians to meet the Lord. And so there has to be a relational intelligence there. And the method that Jesus used is a simple method I've been talking about. I'll share it uh, this morning. After this service, we have a life group leader meeting, getting ready for the Finding Way Back to God series in two weeks. But the method's simple. It, I mean, again, if you're not a Jesus follower and you're a business leader, uh, you know, use this. Feel free. It's yours. It's Jesus' idea, right? So the, the first step is this. I do everything as a life group leader. You watch, and then we'll talk about it. Second week, I'll do it. You help, and then we'll talk about it. Week three, you do most of it. I'll help, and then we'll talk about it. Week four, uh, I'll, you do everything. I'll watch you, and then we'll talk about it. This is, this is leadership development 101. But for whatever reason, in the local church, we over-spiritualize everything, and we miss just the simple, repeatable things that will help make an impact in our church and the community around us. So here, here, here's a challenge for 2019, okay? At, at some point in 2019, I want to encourage you. Take the step to get connected in a life group. Become an apprentice at, at some point. This is going to take time. Understand that. And thirdly, 
help reproduce another group. Because when we reproduce other groups, it gives us higher ceilings so more people can come and hear the gospel message. I am not into being part of a church that grows to a thousand people with ten, ten life groups. Anybody can do that. What I'm into is digging deep wells and let God provide the width. I'm into you experiencing the life transformation that pulled me into ministry. I want you to experience that. That's my heart for you. Because it is the thing that will pull your spiritual life and development in this church forward. It's the mission that the kingdom of God will advance when we start with a circle. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, just a, a great series to talk about community, to talk about church life, to talk about leadership development. I'm excited about all the stories we're going to tell over 2019 and all the men and women get, getting connected in groups being discipled to start other, other groups and circles. And Lord, I, I pray that you would just give us a heart and a mindset as we think about RCC, just constantly asking, like, who needs to be in a circle? Who are the people that I work with, the people that I live next to that need to be in a circle? Who are those people in my life that need to start having conversations about Jesus? Lord, I pray as we step into 2019 that this ministry would bear much fruit, that life transformation would happen, that baptisms would be on the regular, that people would be sensitive to your spirit, and like at Pentecost would be cut to the heart and ask, I believe it, how do I express that publicly? We're trusting you. You gave us your testimony, you gave us your spirit, and you gave us your power. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.